Good morning, Redemption Church. It is good to see you. It's a joy and a privilege to be among you, uh, walking around, greeting people. It's just good to be together today. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the elders and pastors here, and we're here to celebrate today. So we're here to celebrate not just because it's Father's Day. If you're a dad, happy Father's Day. In fact, if you're a dad, can you just let us know by raising your hand so we can just say praise God for you? We praise God for you. Thank you. We thank God for you. I called my dad obnoxiously early this morning to wish him Happy Father's Day. He was awake and received that greeting with joy. And so I'm just grateful to be here. But I want you to look at me for a minute. We're here to celebrate someone even more important than you, dads. No offense. We're here to celebrate the goodness of God and what he has done for us in the gospel. The good news That in Jesus Christ, God is actively at work right here, right now, redeeming and restoring broken people back to himself. And using those redeemed and restored people to bring news of redemption and restoration to all parts of their world so that those too can hear and respond and be redeemed and restored. God redeeming us, that idea of redemption, it means to be brought back or to be bought back because of our rebellion against God's right and loving rule over us, because of our rejection of God's steadfast love. We find ourselves separated and alienated from him with no way to bridge the gap between us. And Jesus comes to live the life we should have lived. He dies the death we deserve to die, but he beats death, beating the enemy we will never beat. And that in him, we will have a life that will never, ever end. So that's why we're here to celebrate today. And I'll be honest with you, I am not that good of someone who celebrates. I have verifiable proof of that. My college graduation party was a concert. Now granted, it was Leonard Skinner and the Doobie Brothers. But I really was so concerned that I did not get in an altered state of mind due to the activity of other people around me, not my crew. So I really missed everything except Freebird, and that was okay. My bachelor party, two of my closest friends playing video games until the wee hours of the morning. I'm not wired to celebrate, naturally. Or, or am I? What if my favorite team wins? What if my favorite show gets renewed? What if you don't use this message as a natural cure for insomnia, right? Maybe I am wired to celebrate, but maybe I just don't know how. And sadly, for American Christians, we who are most uniquely gifted to celebrate above anyone or anything else, we're not better than everyone, we just have a real unique reason and unique giftings to celebrate more than anyone else on planet Earth. But sadly, we are not known as the party people. If you ask a bunch of people at town center, do you think Christians are celebratory? I'm afraid of what they're going to say. We're not known for being a people of celebration. Think about it. When that person gets their prayer answered, you and I may be prone to go, why didn't I get mine answered? Instead of celebrating the grace and the power of God, we say, why didn't God answer my prayer? I pray longer. And I probably pray better. I nail prayer, right? Or even churches. See, a move of God invades Pearland 
and thousands of people become Christians. And one church responds and says, hey, we get to baptize a hundred new believers. Some churches would be like, why didn't that happen for us? I bet those conversions, not all of them were real. Why? Why is it that those of us who have been uniquely gifted to celebrate more than anyone else, we don't celebrate? We're not the party people. But, eyes up here, we can be. And we get to be. And clapping is allowed, especially outside, where we're not inside and no one can hear us, right? I get to kick off a series that we're going to be in for the next six weeks. It's about restore, reveal. It's about the six C's that you see in the back of your bulletin. We get to talk about the restoring nature of the gospel and the revealing nature of the gospel. And I get to kick us off this week with talking about celebrating what is good. To celebrate what is good. I want to read to you what's in a packet that you'll be getting at some point in the next six weeks about what does it mean to celebrate. Because celebration reveals the heart and the character of God. Let me read this for us. Celebration is a posture of the heart towards the world, a posture that looks for where God is with the lights and notices where he is not with mourning. We celebrate because we serve a joyful God who delights in us because of the person and work of Jesus. We celebrate because we're adopted by the Father and dwelled by the Spirit and redeemed by the Son. And in the everyday stuff of life, we can rejoice and celebrate these ordinary windows into the heart of heaven. We get to learn today the grounds of our celebration. And the grounds of our celebration, big surprise, is in nothing else than Jesus himself, right? So I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible, turn, turn to it or take it out and turn it on and go with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. Verses, 21 through, uh, verses 11, excuse me, through 32. Those 22 verses are where we're going to be camping out today. Luke chapter 15. Luke's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and you'll hit Luke and go to 15. And while you're turning there, a little bit of background about what you're going to be seeing. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling a series of parables. Parables are stories with a pointed purpose. Three stories. And in this story, in each of these stories, there's something that is lost. The first story is a lost sheep. You may be thinking, no big deal. But back in the first century, sheep were used for commerce and for food. A lost sheep and then a lost coin. You're thinking, no big deal. We lose coins all the time. I have a Chick-fil-A Happy Meal worth of coins in my van right now. And your laughter is very profound because you probably do, right? But back in those days, this coin was part of a wedding necklace that was very precious to the bride that lost it. The owner takes the initiative in going after to find what is lost and then they welcome people to celebrate and rejoice with them when what was lost is found. This is the third of those stories. There's an audience there that's listening to Jesus. And I want you to know who is in this crowd so you get a better appreciation for what's about to go down in Luke chapter 15. Three different groups of people. One, tax collectors. Now, in our day and age, we don't really appreciate the IRS but we begrudgingly give them our respect, called our taxes, right? But back in the first century, tax collectors were largely shunned by the community of faith. Why? Because of who they were, who they represented, and what they did. Who they were 
They were traitors. Especially if you're a Jewish tax collector working for Rome, you were a traitor. Hi, I'm Benedict Arnold, your friendly neighborhood tax collector, right? What did they do? They would take from people to fund Roman armies, but also their own pocketbooks. They would largely gorge from you and gouge out more than they even needed. And if you didn't have what they needed, they would take your kids. Oh, you're not using your heart? I'll take it. They would do that. And who do they represent? Rome. The oppressors. The bullies in the block. The people who would try to intimidate you into giving up before you even fought by taking you on a five-mile journey of all these crosses where people are being crucified. Tax collectors were hated, but they were listening to Jesus. There's another group there. And Luke refers to them not by his own thinking, but identifying what other people would call them sinners were there. Sinners. People who had not just questionable lifestyles, their lifestyle was beyond question. Later on in Luke 15, you'll get a flavor of what type of sinner this was. We'll just say, for our points and purposes, ladies of the evening. If you follow that into today, you would talk about sex traffickers or drug dealers. Luke calls them sinners as an identifier, not because he wanted to call them sinners, but in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, another group of people had already identified them as sinners. Let me just read verses 29 and 30. And Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. There's a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But they were there. You know why? Because Jesus has a heart for them. Jesus loves them. You ever felt like you weren't good enough for God? You ever felt like you were an outcast or what other people would say a loser? Guess what? Jesus is for you. What other people who aren't sinners need to understand? That they're sinners too. And Jesus is also for them. There's, there's tax collectors, there's sinners, but then there's a third group of people, religious people, the Pharisees. They prided themselves on all of their good works. They prided themselves by not being stained by other people. If, if they knew that there was a sinner walking towards them, they would go the opposite way just to avoid them, to make sure they wouldn't get their sin on them. Would you say they were proud people? Would you say that they were not the kind of people you would invite to a party? But they were there too. What a, what a mix of people to be telling these stories to. You've got tax collectors and sinners and, and Pharisees, the, re, the religious people. How do we process this? So let's dive into the story. And as you're diving into the story, I want to load up the big idea right away and see how this plays out. If you ever wondered why and how we are to be a people of celebration, realize this. God's grace is the cause for our great celebration. We don't celebrate because we're that great or we're that awesome. Eyes up here, church. We celebrate because God in his grace is that great and that awesome. We're going to dive into the story, two acts. One act is the younger brother. The second act is the older brother. We call this about the prodigal son. But in reality, there's the prodigal sons. The first act is the younger brother. 
He would deal more with taking license and liberty with God's grace. He's going to break the rules because he thinks that God is not enough to satisfy him. When Jesus is talking about the younger brother, the tax collectors and the sinners, they would have ears ready to listen for this. These are for those who run away from a loving God. So let me dive into the story, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11 through verse 24. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But, 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 while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. God's great grace is the cause for our great celebration. Let's break this first act down. You have a younger son who doesn't love his dad. He only loves what his dad has. And so what does the son do? He goes, I want what's mine, a third of the estate. You're not supposed to do that. The people listening would know that he's breaking rules. Whether you're a tax collector, sinner, or, or a Pharisee, you're united in knowing this is not how you're supposed to treat your dad. He says, basically, I only want what you have. You're dead to me. Give me what's mine. So he gets a third of the estate. And he liquidates it into cash. And then he goes off to squander it with reckless living. And let's define reckless living. It's not just going 100 in a school zone or playing in 288 traffic. It's reckless for your soul and your body. And he spends it all. No retirement, no emergency fund, no backup plan. He spends it all. He goes to Vegas and just spends it. Running away from God, I have news for you. Look at me. For his time, it's really fun, actually. Until you come to the end of yourself. 
And then you realize the bankruptcy, not just in your wallet, but in your heart. Right? And all of a sudden, the party stopped. He had friends while he had money. While the party was good, he had buddies ready to to be there for him. But then, when the money ran out, guess who else ran out? The friends did. No one was there to help him. Reminds me of a story I heard about a man who had come to faith later in life and how he had always lived for the party. He would go to clubs in New York City and in Chicago for days and weeks at a time. And as long as he had the money, as long as he had the fame, he would be able to party. And he befriended a DJ who was known throughout all the club circuit for being the best DJ. And as long as that DJ was spinning tunes, people would esteem him and love him. But then that DJ caught a death bewildering, death-inducing disease. And he visited that DJ in the hospital days before he died. How many people have come to visit? You're the first. The DJ said, as long as the party was good, I had friends, but when the party stopped, they stopped. That's what's happening here. All of his buddies ran out on him. And so there's a famine that enters the land. Think of it like the Great Depression of the 20th century. Their stock market drops. Unemployment is is huge. He doesn't have money and he knows he can't go home. So he, in desperation, says, I'm going to hire myself out to a Gentile. If you're not familiar with Jews and Gentiles, let's just say they didn't mix too well. Hatfields and the McCoys. Cowboys fans and those with tastes, right? Yeah, I said it. It's my last Sunday for a while. You'll forget by the time I'm back. Some of you are like, you better go on sabbatical, right? He says, I, I, I'm so desperate that I'm going to hire myself out to a Gentile to feed, what was it? Pigs. If you know anything about Jewish dietary laws, pigs weren't clean. You weren't supposed to hang out with them. And now here he is feeding pigs. And he's so desperate that he says, oh, if I can only eat what the, the, the pigs are, are eating. What a tale, right? What a, what, a, what a tale of having and then not having, right? Do we, do we feel the despair in this guy's mind? So finally, he comes to himself. Other translation says he actually comes to his senses his senses of what he has done, what his need is. And so he develops a battle plan. I will go back to my dad, and I know I can't be a son. I've dishonored him too much. This is a shame and honor culture. If you bring shame on the family, you're done. So I'm going to say this. I will just want to be a hired servant. Back in those days, the dad had three choices when a son would dishonor him and bring shame on the family. He could have him stoned to death. He could partially take him back or he could have him react like a hired hand or a servant or a slave. But at least if he's a slave, he will live. Here's what I'm going to say. I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he got it in the right order. He sinned against God. Why? Because he sinned against the command to honor your father and mother. Eyes up here for a second. 
When you sin against other people, you ultimately are sinning against the God who made them. God created them in his image to reflect. And even though we're broken in that way, we still have, broken as it is, we still get to reflect something of the, the, the beauty and the majesty and the greatness of God. And so when you sin against someone else, eyes up here, you sin against God. So he had the right order. I've sinned against, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I, I am wicked. Is this maybe where you're at right now? You've been created for this majestic purpose of reflecting who God is and relating to God based on his love for you, but you have rejected that love. You have rebelled against that rule. And you're in need of redemption. Don't check out on this story. Stay tuned for what's to come. So he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to know who I'm accountable to. I'm going. I'm not worthy to be your son. I will be your slave because crumbs from my dad are better than what I have had. And so, a long way off. A long way off. His father sees him. Why? Because he was looking for him. And he has compassion on him. And then he does three scandalous things that would bring shame upon the father. He runs, he embraces, and he kisses. Why is this so shameful? Because back in the first century, wealthy landowners didn't run. They hired people for that. And most of the time, they're dressed in what we would call fancy dress. Fancy dress. Not business casual. Business, business. And to run in that, if you ever tried to run in a three-piece suit, you're not running that fancy. But he runs, and, and people would realize, what kind of, what kind of father runs? What is, how shameful that is. That's shame on the father. And the father doesn't care. Because he sees his son coming, and then he runs into him, and then he embraces him. Rather than making him pay for his sin, he hugs him. And not just hug him, the, 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 the language there, he literally falls on his neck. Like we would call that in Texas a big bear hug. Have you ever just been bear hugged by someone? Right? Raise your hand if you have. And you're like, I, I need to breathe. Can you. You broke four of the ribs. Are you going for a full set here? Right? And then he kisses him. Now stop right there. Look at me. Okay. Kisses him despite where's he been for the last few weeks, maybe? In a pig pen? Drenched in pig slop? Did he wait for him to get clean to embrace him? No. Did he wait for him to get clean to kiss him? No. What shame is happening to the dad? And does the dad care? Not a bit. He says, I will take all that shame and I will cover you in spite of it. Is that worth celebrating today, church? Do you serve a God like that? The dad does all of this. He does all of this. And he's showing us something about the character and the heart of God. That God himself embraces people who turn to him. He doesn't wait for you to get cleaned up. There's a way for you to get good enough. There's a way for you to get your act together. He embraces you right as you are, as as dirty as you are. 
Jesus came to redeem and restore the relationship that we broke. He brings us back to life. So the dad is hugging him and kissing him. Imagine what the son is thinking right now. This is not what I thought would happen. So he goes into his prepared talk. Father, I am not worthy to be your son. I I, I didn't even get to the hired servants part. He gets interrupted. And the father said, no, I'm going to cut you off with commands to others, not him. He gives commands to celebrate. Son, you're forgiven. And I'm going to give you three things that you don't deserve. A robe, a ring, and shoes. Now, what's the big deal? Some of us wear robes. No big deal. It's a little terry cloth. It's all right. It's within that type of robe. This is a robe that was reserved for the dad to wear or for very important people that would come to be a guest. This is an expensive robe. If you're familiar with pro wrestling, it's a Ric Flair robe. If you're not familiar with pro wrestling, celebrate Jesus, right? This is not some just $20 Target robe. This is a robe of thousands of dollars. And by the way, what is the dad doing when he's putting the robe on his son? He is ruining the robe. Because the son is caked in pig. And you're not going to get the stench or the stain out. And the father says, I'm covering your shame and I'm okay with being shamed for it. Gives him a ring. It's a seal that says, you are in the family and that seal will not be broken. It won't. And then he gives him shoes. Can you imagine putting shoes on those feet? Shoes. Only free people could wear shoes. Servants and slaves did not have the right to wear shoes back then. What is he saying by giving him shoes? You're free. You're free. What do I have to pay back? You can't pay me back, so don't. Be free. And this is, let's kill the fattened calf. This is a special occasion. They wouldn't eat meat every day. So notice this. There's a cost to celebration that the father willingly pays. There's a cost to celebration that the Son of God willingly pays to bring you and I back to Him. There's a celebration. The younger son is fully back in. Notice this. He had already gotten a third. He gets another third of what's left. He's fully back in. He was dead, now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. He's been redeemed and brought back from darkness to light to slavery to being a son. Uh, For you and I, it's from slavery to being a son or a daughter. And one day, oh, the inheritance you and I will have. Is that worth celebrating? It is, because the dad is not angry. He's loving. Listen to this statement about this passage. If I could believe that God is not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. Said by a guy named Martin Luther, who last I checked wasn't able to truly do that. But think about how celebratory that is by a Lutheran, no less. Main points from Act 1. Come to God with your dirt and with your filth, and He will clean you, and He will embrace you. And God embraces the people who do turn to Him. Act number two, though, 
the older brother. The older brother. If the first brother was about license, the older brother's about legalism, about earning himself a right with God, to using the rules and his keeping of the rules to bribe God's goodness. Pharisees would be listening, their ears would be tuned in for what's about to be said about the older brother. These are for people who don't run from God, but condemn those that do. Let's dive into act number two, starting in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see why I'm saying this is the prodigal sons? Neither had a right understanding of God and His grace. He's out in the field and he's working. And he hears some music happening. He doesn't know what's going on. He draws near, but he doesn't go in. He sends a servant to scope it out and find out what's happening. And the news that completely sets him off is this. Your brother is safe. He's in the protection of the Father. He's sound spiritually and physically. Huh. I was prepared to live life without him. I didn't care. I was going to get what was mine. As a result, he's angry. He refuses to go in. He exposes his real self here. The dad entreats him, pleads with him. Son, celebrate with me. Come on in. And Jesus is using his anger. It's a direct shot, the anger of the Pharisees over grace being displayed to sinners and tax collectors. Look. Literally, look you, not dad. What a, what a disrespect. The, 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 the brothers were equal in their disrespect. Different in their application. Look you, this, this son of yours, this son of yours, I never have disobeyed you. Look how many years I've served you. You're not a slave. You're a son. I thought you were working because it was your joy to work and not, not to earn something for yourself. You, you, never, you never have given me anything. This outward compliance doesn't equal an inward desire. I've always obeyed you. Have you really? Check yourself. Our compliance doesn't equal inward desire. You never gave me a goat that I could celebrate with my friends. Sounds like Luke Skywalker in the first Star Wars. I wanted to just go I wanted to go fly with my friends. You never gave me a goat. Forget the fatted calf. You didn't give me anything. You gave him what he didn't deserve. You haven't given me. And what is he saying? You, Dad, aren't my treasure. Your stuff is. How many of us have related to God based on what he could do for us, not for who he really is? 
and to think that this son of yours, like Adam in Genesis 3, this woman you gave me, he squandered it on, on prostitutes? All the shame? And you're, you're treating them this way? What a self-righteous man. Very quick to point out the faults of others and cover up their own pride. Listen to how the father responds. Son, you were always with me. What a dagger to the argument of the older brother. You're already in, son. I thought you were working as a way to to show love and appreciation and, and working out of grace, not working for my grace. You're always with me. All, all that I have is yours. All that I have is, is yours. He's sincerely appealing to him. I still love you. I want you with me. Look, let's rejoice because he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Join the celebration. Jesus is appealing to the Pharisees. Come and celebrate. Celebrate. I love you. I want you. I'm pleading with you. Main points from Acts 2. Your good deeds don't earn you anything good. And don't just think that your lack of blatant sin means that you don't have sinful crevices that run deep in you. But also that God knows that already and he loves you in spite of it. Amen? The father reacts the same way to both guys. He goes out to them, he loves them, and he pleads them and invites them to come with him. But these brothers both rejected him at first. One said, I'm, I'm going to break the rules because I don't love you. And the other one used the rules to bribe the dad to get what he really wanted. Neither of them really wanted the dad. The younger son actually shows remorse, but the older son shows pride and this is the great difference between religion and true Christianity. Religion says, I obey, therefore I have the right to, to get stuff from God. But Christianity says that I am loved by God and now I have the power to actually obey. God's great grace is the cause for our great celebration. But I know humanity, I know me, and I know some of you, Right now, you may not feel so celebratory. Life has happened to you. What do you do? Where do I go when there's not a big well to draw from to celebrate? Let me invite us, if that's where we are, to linger longer on the gospel. Just think about what kind of love has been lavished upon you. Dwell on that gospel until your heart erupts with joy. Because no matter how bad this gets, you have a future that's forever that is assured. One theologian said that for Christians, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. But for non-Christians, this is as close to heaven as you get. So so when you're not feeling so celebratory, linger longer on the gospel. Linger longer. Just dwell on it. And then, one other application. Celebrate with your community. 
When other people see gospel breakthroughs and they share that with you, rejoice in that. Use that as fuel for your own celebration. Maybe what you need to do this week is call or text somebody and say, I'm running low on some gospel fuel. What's good in your life? And then have them text you back with something great. And you're like, all right, praise God for that. Not being jealous over what's happening for them, but using that as fuel. Celebrate gospel advances in one another. I want to take just a minute and do that. So for those of you who are on the southwest side of redemption right now, I want to introduce you to some covenant folks that I've uh, begun to see the gospel move and work through already in just these couple of weeks. A guy named Eric Hammond. And all these people are probably going to slaughter me afterwards, so it's been nice knowing you. Eric Hammond is such a smart man. He's a wizard. And, and, and just an hour conversation this week, he helped me process something that was so complex, I was wondering how we are going to figure this out. One hour with Eric, Done. Plus, he has really good musical tastes. So you're seeing God use his mind for the furtherance of this church. That's gospel at work in him. But also, Nathan and Amber Reynolds. Hey, while you were doing something else on Saturday, they were up here on Saturday gearing up for the kids. The heart they have for children, not just their own kids, but our kids, on display right now what's happening in the main building. The love that God has poured out for them, they are now pouring out for the youngest and the littlest to see the gospel on display through adults that love them. Praise God. Tyler and Casey Wallace. Every week, Tyler is up here at crack 30. All these chairs, at least a third of them was placed here by Tyler. Casey, again, here on Saturday, laboring for for the gospel to take root and to bear fruit in our kids. Think about how the gospel is at work in them. But for the covenant folks that are on that side, I want to introduce you to some Southway folks. And and these two couldn't be here today, so I get to pick on them. Hey man, you weren't here? Sorry. All bets are off. Jeff and Sarah Beth Morris. The reason they're not here today is because a family member of Jeff's died on Friday and the funeral is either today or tomorrow in Kentucky and he's on his way right now, 800 miles to drive and be there. Jeff, you see the gospel at work as he's working with our new building team, Serbes working with Redemption Kids. And have you ever taken a 500 plus mile trip with four kids under the age of 10? Gospel better be at work in you. Can I get an amen, parents? Yeah. There's that celebration, right? Wayne and Brittany Moore. Uh, Wayne, Wayne Moore is the servant's servant. He's a whatever, wherever, whenever type of servant. Whatever needs to be done, whenever needs to be done, wherever you need to go, that's Wayne. And last week, Brittany was helping wash dishes until the wee hours of the, of the potluck. Why? To help other people serving at, at, at whatever level is possible, that's, that's them in a nutshell. Lastly, I'll say this, Shannon Jensen. We've had the privilege of getting to know Shannon and her daughter Ayla for the last almost seven months. Coming to us in the middle of a 
the biggest tragedy of their of their lives and the biggest crisis of their life. Having your your three year old daughter at Texas Children's, your seven year old daughter, you're having to get her enrolled in school, but you're not even from here. And while while your while your husband's trying to get a job in West Virginia, and, and you're you're all over the place, walking with her to the death of her of her, of her daughter. But yet, getting to walk alongside her and watch her not give up on the holiness and the love of God, but to press into it, even at a point of pain, that's worth celebrating. So how do we do this? How do we grow in celebration? Eyes up here. You celebrate. Practice doesn't make perfect, but practice makes. And it starts in the service. It starts in the worship gathering. We celebrate that we know God and he's made himself known to us. Use this potluck as a time to celebrate and to dive in. We get to become the party people. Amen? Let's pray together.